And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. You look bundled up over there. There's I, an actual even... blizzard happening outside. Uh, it was. At least your internet works. It's like 2 p.m. <laughs> and usually when we do the show, I try to look professional and I'll go do my hair and I'll put on something. It's like, all right, I'll be presentable. It's just, it's so cold out and the snow is just falling down. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go throw a winter hat on and just lean into this as hard as I can. It looks like you just uh, are just uh, shipping for uh, fishing for some crab, you know, so off the Alaska coast. <laughs> that That is what I'm going for pretty much all the time. My chic vibe, fisherman? My that's, vibe that's for. after Halloween yeah. is a combination of weathered New England fishermen and like Chris Evans from Knives Out. Like that that's okay. exactly what I'm trying to go for is like some <laughs> middle ground between there. I saw Banshees of Inishirin a couple weeks ago, which was yeah. fantastic, by the way. And one I of my big concert take- updates from you lately. Uh, <laughs> one of my big one of my big uh one of my big takeaways from the movie was man, just great sweaters. Nineteen twenties really? Ireland is just where I want to be all the time. So that's the vibe I'm generally shooting. It's for. like the people going for the peaky blinders look. Like right now, like that's I mean, been that's, happening that's the last a lot few of years. Effort. You can that just is. throw on a sweater and pull off what I'm trying to do. So I'm just leaning as hard as I can into it right now. I, We're three days before Christmas. It's cold as hell outside. What, what are we really doing here? I dress, I dress the same as I did like in high school. Just a lot of hoodies and a lot of hats. That's if anyone <laughs> any of these cutouts that happens on our YouTube channel. I'm just like, man, I just look like look like I just woke up, which I did probably right before we did a show. So uh, you're doing better than I did do, uh, than I'm doing as, as looking like a Portland 
you know, resident in Maine. Portland, Maine, not Portland, Oregon, uh, is what I, is what you're going for. As we lean into this general wintry vibe here, truncated show a little bit today as we head into the holiday weekend. And a reminder, no Sunday recap show on Sunday night. Sunday is Christmas. We are going to allow <laughs> everyone involved with the show to spend Christmas with their family. We're going to have a two-part Week 16 recap coming to you guys on Monday. We're going to do yes. the Saturday games in one show, the yes. three not-great Sunday games in another show. I have to assume there's going to be a lot of Dolphins-Packers talk in the Sunday version of that <laughs> recap. But that is going to be our plan. So don't be looking for that. But we are going to do a live Thursday night football recap solely on YouTube a little bit later tonight. Jets Jags, uh, a game I'm pretty excited to watch. Really fun. <laughs> I, pretty fired the up. Jets defense against this Jags offense is, is one heck of a matchup. So we're going to do that tonight, but no Sunday recap. Just be on the lookout Monday for those two recap shows that are becoming solely as pods. We're not going to do those on the YouTube channel. So a little bit of housekeeping as we head into the holiday week. So let's start with. The game of week four, a uh, game of week sixteen, but even this is kind of disappointing. It, it's a very right. strange week. So you have Cowboys Eagles kind of circled because the first time these two teams played, Dak didn't play, right. and now the second time these two teams are playing, Jalen Hurts isn't going to play. Right. So there aren't a ton of things you could take from the first matchup that are applicable to what we're going to be watching right now because. That would be the Eagles offense against the Cowboys defense, which we're not really going to see on Saturday because Hurts isn't playing. And going back and rewatching the Eagles defense against the Cowboys offense from that game, you have Cooper Rush in there at quarterback. So it's just kind of a strange version of this matchup, a matchup that we probably are going to see in the divisional round that might determine the NFC. So a little bit of a letdown with the Hurts news this week, I would say. I know it's like building to the third match, like, and that's like the, you know, the payoff match is actually the one that we're all going to be geared up for. I know I'm really disappointed because I've had this game circled for some time now, just like, oh man, seeing as these teams are building. And it was also like, you had to let down, you know, the Cowboys last week lost, but if you rewatch, it's not as damning, which I think we'll talk about in a sec, but also just, you know, just like same exact thing is that the. The Eagles, the first time around, or the first time around, I didn't even watch that rewatch that game because I was just like, "What's oh, Cooper Rush in there?" Yeah, and then I already know I what watched this the running is. plays. That that's yeah. what I went back and I watched from that game was the Cowboys running plays against the Eagles defense. That that was it. Yeah, but even the Eagles defense has kind of been revamped a little bit with who it they has. signed, and and so that yeah, so the carryover is more from the recent games, which is this is exactly what game planning is like. This is you go watch some games and you take weight in different ones. Our previous matchups or the ones that we want to watch. Uh, is it a backup quarterback in there, et cetera, et cetera. But just like I wrote about the Cowboys against the Cowboys defense against the Jacksonville Jaguars offense uh, this week, which kind of it's funny. I went, I thought after that game, you know, rewatching back on all 22, it's like, Dak is still Dak, you know, the interceptions and all that. I actually thought 80% of Tyron Smith at right tackle is pretty freaking awesome with Zach Martin and double teams on that so side. My, concern, co- my only like concern there is the amount of snaps. 
is yeah. when, when can he get back to a full workload? Because when Peters was in there, that's when they had some of their lowest moments on Sunday. But I think so, that's what they're building to and having course. Peters be the swing guy. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is another good week for that because now it's like, okay, yes, it matters. It's NFL. It's week 16, but it doesn't really matter as much. So we can kind of keep him on that rotation a little bit. So I think that helps crescendo again into the playoffs. For so, the, But this, the matchup I am going to be watching in this game, because I do think it's the one where the, they're at the fullest strength and we're probably yeah. going to learn the most potentially build toward a rematch between these two teams and based on my muddy understanding of the playoff picture Cowboys are the five seed so if everyone mm-hmm. takes care of business in the wild card round which the Cowboys are likely going to be favored against the NFC South winner which we'll get into later today that's, that's taking care of business if that yeah. happens and then the higher seeds win Cowboys are going to play against the Eagles in Philadelphia in the divisional round so it yeah. it's trending toward us seeing this again That's and with great. that in mind I think the most instructive informative matchup in this game is going to be the out Cowboys offense against the Eagles defense yes. so the couple things about the Cowboys offense from that game I'm with you in that I think they're going to be fine that's even the two yeah. picks are kind of weird picks you know, yeah. obviously he gets his arm hit on one one is a tipped ball i'm not super worried about the Dak prescott interception stuff i will say that there were two things from the jags in that game that i thought ooh, all right maybe a little bit more of this and one was some of the droppers from the line of scrimmage that they had on both yeah. sim pressures and blitzes you know, Devon Hamilton had a pass breakup in that game, but also led to another, I think at least one more play where Dak had to double clutch because somebody dropped into into mm-hmm. his zone. We know that it's not really smart to blitz a lot against Dak Prescott, but if you're going to run some of those simulated pressures and play zone behind it, I think that the Jags had a little bit of success with that. I also think I would be more willing to blitz the Cowboys situationally and depending on what you're playing behind it. Because mm. the Jags a couple times played man and doubled CD Lamb and blitzed. That little formula, I'm okay with blitzing the Cowboys in that spot. Because against man coverage, CD Lamb is getting like 35% of the Cowboys targets. He it's su- straight at him every it, snap. It, it's some insane number. And it's one of the highest rates in the entire league. I think it's like sixth or seventh in the entire NFL against man, especially on third down. It's like 35, 36% of targets. Mm-hmm. And the Jags were double teaming him. And when that happens and you can heat Dak up a little bit, I think you can have some success. So those are yep. the two little nuggets outside of some fluky turnovers where I'm like, ooh, Maybe this combined with some of the issues yeah. at right tackle are a way you can get after this team. Yeah, and I commended uh, and, and said Kellen Moore has probably been co- coaching up the best ball of his life. I think he's this is the best game plan or uh, play calling that he's had. I one of my complaints I I've had about him is that yeah, and I know we, we both had times where we were higher maybe than the other on him. Is I always thought that he always felt like he had a lot of good stuff to get to, so he would go away from what's working. And it was like, no, just keep at it. Make him stop it. And I thought in this Jags game, he did a good job. They called the, literally the same zone play three times in a row, which I thought was hilarious. Like, same same setup, same formation, everything, same motion with Noah Brown. Noah Brown's also playing, like, really well. Like, he's he is so much more – athletic football show all-star nonsense guy he's, where does so many ascended, so much baby. dirty work. I mean yeah. – He's just digging guys I need out, a new inserting Zach on run plays. I need a, I need a new Pascal. That's exactly what he is. Noah Brown is he, your Zach Pascal for this season. Because he's they show, used him as a blocker last year, but he'd have some botches. And as a pass catcher, he'd kind of be up and down. This year, he's just consistent. Like, ball goes his way, good things happen, and he blocks his ass off. So it's like, exactly. He is, he is a TAFS all-star all the way. But 
since Dak's been back, he's third in success rate behind Mahomes and Burrow and passing success rate and second in EPA per play behind Mahomes. He's playing really good football right yeah. now. Um, I think the interceptions so, have been overshadowing he how well shit. he's actually been playing. He he tries stuff. That's Dak. That's what's what's going to be like. I you know we've talked about this with like with Rivers sometimes. It'd be frustrating. People are like oh he had two interceptions. It's like yeah because he's trying to throw like an expert level ball here. And so that's the that's the give and take of it sometimes. But I, I watched I rewatched that game and I'm watching the offense. I'm like there's still I still feel okay about this Cowboys offense. I know a lot of people are making big things about not having a second receiver, but I think the complementary pieces are all working for them right now. Um, I I would say Dalton Schultz had a rough day as a blocker. In this past game against the Jags, they got after him a little bit. So some some of the outside runs and stuff working that way was not working great. And I think that's why they started leaning into a lot of weak zone stuff. Um, I talked about on the Sunday show, there were some fun change-ups that they showed on offense. And But it's going to go – it's strength against strength. I think this it's a balanced offense. They can get to a lot of things, and they like to have a balanced attack against what I think is a balanced defense – that kind of like, I don't know, they're kind of like a nice, fun mirror images of each other, I think. Um, and that they have strength up front. They have kind of like smart, sound players. They do a lot of different things well, but maybe not something is not supernatural or like their super weapon. I want to talk about the actual matchup against the Eagles specifically heading into yeah. this game. Going back and watching again, just the run plays from that game. You know, the Eagles kind of have a specific way they play against specific formations right like if you're in heavy personnel you're going to see those five down looks from them some of yep. it was actual like base personnel some of it was those penny fronts which is a five down front with one one linebacker in the game yep. so you're playing nickel personnel but you have the, five the sub and the base versions of each other yeah, yeah. so but yep. for the most part especially in the first half of that game when the score was in you know 10 14 points when the cowboys were in heavy personnel the eagles were matching with their five down base personnel and in that game specifically, and we'll get into why this is a little less, less relevant in a second, 60% rush success rate for the Eagles when Jordan Davis was in the game, which is about okay. 21 snaps and 10 runs, 43.8% success when he was out of the game, which was 16 runs, 43 snaps. <laughs> huge chasm there. That's and huge. So when the Cowboys, when the Eagles have been in their lighter personnel this season, they have struggled to defend the run at times. Now there are a couple of layers to that because Jordan Davis is no longer the primary nose tackle for the Eagles. Yeah, Linval Joseph they, is getting a ton of snaps for them, but still a similar changes. approach. When they're facing yeah. those sorts of heavy personnel packages, that's the look that you get. So can the Eagles, if the Cowboys are going to put three receivers on the field, insert Noah Brown as a blocker, all that stuff, and put them in lighter personnel, can they defend the run out of those looks? Because they have struggled to do that this season. Yeah, no, that's a great, great that's that's what's cool about this Cowboys offense is that they can get to either personnel grouping. They love being in twelve and they love being in eleven and with a sprinkling of thirteen with three tight ends. Jake Ferguson's been out, so that's kind of changed some of it. Uh, but which is so funny to a middle round rookie tight end actually matters to your offense, but he does because he's a good blocker and a solid receiver. Um, but I think what's interesting about that, that's such a good stat too, because when you know Usually when someone signals in, say, like a penny, you know it's a specific personnel grouping that they're like, hey, they're going to be in this front. The Cowboys, what's the beauty of their run game is that they can get to anything. They can run counter. They can run zone. They can run pin pull. They can run trap. And they get to everything because they're just kind of a game plan 
uh, heavy team. They like to adjust what they run. So I think that's where you might see a lot of counter. You might see a lot of pin pull. You might see a lot of pullers from this Cowboys offense, which is going to put a lot on the center, Biotish. It's going to put a lot on Zach Martin, which is a good thing. And it's going to put a lot on also the tackles have to be able to move as well, which I think that's where Tyron Smith comes into play. You know, you kind of get some nice, I think Terrence Steele is a mauler and Tyron Smith is Tyron Smith. <laughs> so it's kind of like, he can kind of do a little bit of everything, even 80% of him. So it's just a different thing you can get to. And I think Tyler Smith is also a great athlete who can get out on the move as well. So I think you're going to see some of those runs from the Cowboys offense. I know I'm focusing more on the Cowboys offense because what I've seen from this Eagles defense is they run, they're going to tweak a little bit each week what they run, but they do it really well and well coached. <laughs> it's kind of, they make it a little bit hard on you as far as, but that's why the one weakness is this run attack that you can maybe get after them in a way that you wouldn't think and getting those heavy bodies on the field. It's funny that you say that. I want to see what their pass defense looks like against the Cowboys because right. the Eagles pass defense numbers for the season are very good. And even since yeah. their bye, so this, I believe their bye was in week six. Since then, they're seventh in EPA per dropback. Here are the quarterbacks they've played, though. It's not great. <laughs> Kenny Pickett, Davis Mills, Taylor Heineke, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, which really means playing against the Titans passing game, which is, you know, there are no yeah. guys, and Daniel Jones. That's it. So point. the best team, the best team throwing the football that they've played against during that stretch is technically the Giants, if you look at it just by like passing DVOA. Numbers, but let's, yeah. let's, for our purposes here, say it's Rodgers. They were not very good in that game. But the Packers threw the ball efficiently and you know pretty well and consistently throughout that game. So I want to see what they look like against a team that can throw the ball like Dallas can, because I think it's a good test and the sort of test that we just haven't seen them have to face very often this season. Man, even just going back to week one, you got yeah. If you, even Goff, if you go before the bye, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, you got Goff and Cousins, and Cooper then, Rush, and, and, and the Cooper Rush, Trevor in the rain, and Trevor was doing well until he became a fumble factory. By the way, it's raining tonight in New York, so or in Meadowlands. So. Oh, good. I picked the Jags. A little, in, in our, in little scary. A little great. scary there. A little scared there. Uh, yeah, Pickett. You already not mentioned them, and then Cardinals, of course. But that. But it's just uh, yeah. So they haven't really been tested, tested, and the ones they did. I mean, the Lions got after them a little bit in that second half. If I remember correctly, in week one, I know that's all the way back in week one. That feels like three yeah, it's seasons a long ago. time ago now. <laughs> it's a long time ago. But that's the thing. We haven't really seen a true, true passing attack at all, really. I mean, just the Bears and Giants and Titans, I guess, but Bears and Gi- Giants run single wing offenses. And also, you know? I mean, the, the Bears had, they were down to Dante Pettis and that was it, Byron Pringle. And it was pretty rough. I went back and it was unfortunate. Trying to study Did the you say, Eagles. You have to say you went back and watched that game. I <laughs> I watched this morning. I, watching it this out. morning, I was trying to study the Eagles defense and I just couldn't do it because I was just looking at who was open and who wasn't. Watching oh a team play against the Bears and I'm trying to study the other team is just a worthless exercise. I shouldn't even do it. Eventually, I, I just gave up. I I, by halftime, I was like, fuck this. I'm going to go back and watch the Packer game. There so, you go. <laughs> a couple of personnel things about the Eagles defense that I think are worth mentioning before we get out of here. Before we get to the next thing. We're not done with 20 minutes into the show. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, whose name I can never say, is on injured reserve right now. Yep. He has yep. a lacerated kidney, which, good Lord. Okay. I, that's how I lost my junior year of high school. I lacerated my kidney. Broke my rib and lacerated my ah! kidney. It, it hurts so bad. <laughs> yeah. Not a fun one. Not oh a fun God. one. That's <laughs> what happens when you play quarterback in high school at 180 pounds, like 6'3", 180. You're just no it's, just it's skin really and bones. It's really funny that I... <laughs> I mean, our junior years, I weighed 60 pounds. I would have weighed 60 pounds more than you. 
Rick flipped. Yeah, yeah. Really I, I, I played at 240 my junior year. That's hilarious. I, I'm I'm a chill like 185 right now because I'm You're actually carrying some holiday like weight. 230 right now Request, with CJ Gardner. You're a dad. You can weigh whatever you want. You don't have to take care of yourself <laughs> for the next like six years. No. <laughs> CJ Gardner Johnson is on IR. Yeah. Timing worked out okay with that. Avante Maddox came off IR. He played a lot of safety last week. So yeah, been, they actually have been able to piece this together with Gardner Johnson going down because they played Maddox at safety and, and base personnel, and then he would go back to the slot when they would play nickel. So just something to keep an eye on there. I already mentioned Linval Joseph playing a lot of snaps for them and being pretty valuable for a guy yeah. that they signed in November. Yes. He's, I think he played 20 snaps against the Bears. Jordan Davis only played 14. And Jordan Davis is actually playing some more five technique Yes. And three technique and, and three tech, defensive yeah. tackle at defensive end That's than he has yeah. earlier in the season. <laughs> and so those are considerations to t- keep in mind for this game. And the last thing is the Eagles since they're by, they're seventh in EPA per drop back overall. They are by far number one on third down because you can feel it. When this team gets on third down, they are hunting right yep. now. And the guys they can put on the field, they don't blitz a lot. But mm. those pass rush packages that they can put on the field with Sweat, Hargrave, uh, obviously Reddick. Hassan Reddick and what he's doing right now. That's, <laughs> that's the name I was searching for. When they can really get after it, they are a top oh. three pressure rate team since the bye and a bottom 10 blitz rate team. So that's what I would be concerned about if you're Dallas, yeah. when you're worried about that right tackle spot right now, it not being solidified. And also Tyler Smith isn't the greatest in pass protection. If they can Size. get after you on third down, that would be the thing I'd be most worried about. In this so, game. And that's interesting because that's what this Cowboys offense does. They jab you to death with being efficient, efficient run and passing, just brutally efficient. That's what this offense is. Brutally. It's built off five, six yard gains, but then they bait you into blitzing them. Cause then they just, cause then defenses go screw this. Like let's bring some heat on them. And then Dak checks into something and checks the protection and gashes you. That's what they do. And this that's such a great point because this Eagles defense might not fall for it. Can I talk real quick before we end this section about the Cowboys defense just real quick? Yeah, just, of course. Yeah, yeah. So even though this Eagles offense with uh, Gardner Mitchell, it's going to be interesting. I'll just say that. He's going to be able to run it fine. But I'm very curious to watch this offense. It's this just week. a different offense. That's why it's, it's so not different. that instructive. Know, be, because yeah. this, the Hurts running is so central to who the Eagles yeah. are, it's like, eh. Like, I, I don't, yeah, what can exactly I learn it. from this? Exactly. But it's been so like diving into the stats, and this is what I wrote about, and when they uh, when Leighton Vander Esch went out, it was really rough for this Cowboys defense, especially stopping the run. And just want to drop the stat because I just thought it was so instructive to what I'm talking about here is that the Cowboys have had 194 snaps this year on defense without LVE, without Vander Esch. Their rush success rate with him on the field is second in the NFL. Without him, it's last, under 50%. And they're going against this Eagles run game without Vander Esch. So I'm a little little scared about that. And defense success rate overall goes from fourth to 26th. And that is – Jaguars got after him a lot with a lot of the motions and side-to-side mm-hmm. stuff. This Eagles offense isn't as motion-heavy. They kind of do more slow motion when they do do it or short motions. Um, so it doesn't really going to tie into that. But they're still going to get you go side-to-side with screens. And some of their run game is really good. The cor- uh, like even without the quarterback run game, they still do some stuff in the run game under center, running it to the running backs and all that. So I'm very curious. And also Jonathan Hankins was really important to this Cowboys defense as well um, and stopping the run after they, they traded for him from the Raiders. So those two being out is a little more 
damaging than even the whole talk about the second corner, you know, figuring out who replaces Brown. So like that is kind of like what I think is really more scary for this Cowboys defense. And I think this is going to be an amazing test for it against an Eagles team that's going to pound the rock, I think. It's a great point because I, yeah. in my mind, it's that the corner problem is what's really lingering yeah. for my why I'm worried about the Cowboys defense. But I think there are other things to think about to- as we get down the stretch because it's important to think about which defenses are at full strength? Which defenses right. actually deserve the reputation we've ascribed right. to them over the course of the season? The Niners right now certainly do. And yeah. if we get Stock to the up. end of the year and the Cowboys <laughs> don't, then the type of team they are in our minds, I think, starts to change. So it's really important the, to mention. I didn't write about this, but just like my theory is that why I'm not as concerned about losing the second corner and figuring out whatever, whoever's going to play there, what name you're going to insert there, the kid from Oregon State. Um, or whoever is this team runs cover two a lot. So that is one way you can hide them a little bit, lean into that, dial that knob just a little bit higher, Dan Quinn, and maybe bring some other stuff to just disguise it as well. So I think they just have one answer that may, uh, that will maybe help resolve it until they kind of figured it out. All right. It's time for our game path plan of the week. Let's get to it. So Frank, here's the plan. All right. Bengals offense against the Patriots defense this week. May not seem yeah. like the sexiest matchup in the world. The Patriots defense statistically has been one of the best defenses in the NFL this season. Yes, it has. Which makes it difficult to paint the Patriots with any sort of broad brush because the offense has been such a disaster. And the decision to build the offensive coaching staff the way that they have, all that stuff. Yep. It's like, oh man, is this over? Like, are they just done? Are they are they over it? Is Belichick just past it? Do we have to like care about this team anymore? And then the defense is playing the way that it has for the most yeah. part all season. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> right. He's still like a wizard uh, on With that side of the ball. players, too. And like, it's, it's like, just, yeah. The, the corners are out, and there's shuffling guys in and out. And like, Jelani Tavai has given them good snaps. <laughs> like, it, yes. That's just the type of shit that it is with them. And we're back. And so this matchup, even though I think the Patriots are probably on the outside looking in from the playoff, race it, there's been a lot of ugly football from them over the course of this season i do think that this specific side of the ball is a really good matchup and a really good test for a Bengals team that we're both pretty excited about here as we're yep. rolling down the stretch i think this of all this murderer's row that we think this Bengals team has faced i actually think this for this Bengals offense this defense not only just statistically patriots defense second in dvoa second in uh Best by overall success rate. They're second against the pass and success rates. So that means they're going against a team and they're seventh against the rush. Like they're balanced and they're going against a team that has now thrived off being balanced and efficient. So it's perfect. It's a defense yeah. that wants to make you inefficient versus a team that's trying to be as efficient as possible these days. We know, of course, they can always do the explosive stuff, but that's the thing. Belichick for years has thrived off quarterbacks that want to live in the explosive world. Cause then he goes, we're going to take that away from you. Guess have fun. Like, but Bengals have already found those answers. So it's, it's, I think this is going to be going into this. We chalked this up on the preview and we talked to the other day, like going over, what we're going to talk about, but as I studied it more, I'm a little more, I'm way more interested in this than I thought I was. Going so let's in. dig into it. What aspects yeah. of it are really jumping out to you? Yeah. So for one, uh, this is just personnel usage. No, no one plays more dime on first and second, second down than the Patriots. Why that matters is the Bengals love to be in 11 personnel. They like yeah. to be in light bodies. Uh, they are second behind the Rams in 11 personnel, even though they've tweaked what they've done the last few, since their, you know, 
renaissance or whatever you want to call the this. The ways revamped they use outfit. it is very, uh, they, in varied ways, but they still want to live in that personnel group. Still light body, light body groups. That's what they like to do. I mean, why wouldn't you? You want T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Jamar Chase on the field Especially as much as possible. if you can run the ball efficiently out of it, which they absolutely it's, have been able to this season. It's a pick your poison. But this, this Patriots defense, um, they're really damn good out of base on rundowns, especially against the run. But when they get a nickel, they're fantastic out of nickel on first and second down, at five DB looks, but they're more middle of pack against the run. So, um, okay. Interesting. The Bengals lean into that a little bit. I know. And I, I watched it a little bit. Um, they, I think they get a little too cute with, uh, what they try to do. They're trying to like kind of game up some stuff and, and it's, it's just funny. Like what they're, I see what they're trying to do, especially against the Raiders team, but, uh, Raiders last week. But then it was just kind of like, oh, just run what you run. And that's actually what is most interesting to me about this Patriots defense is how much quarters they're running. They look, I mean, shit, against that pay, or that Raiders offense, they looked like a Fangio defense and how they were structured. Something to keep Quar- in mind, though, that might be a Raiders-specific thing. But they've done it before. They're more odd fronts and then running quarters behind it. And it, just, it was just something that's exactly what I thought, too. I thought the exact same thing. And there were some coverage calls that I could tell were because of Devontae Adams. Um, and But that's... Another thing, I got, I got so many pivot points off of this, so I'm trying to trying to hone it in for everybody right now. So, okay, well, going to this, that's exactly what I thought. I'm going to watch this team, and I'm going to watch. Okay, that's probably just because against the Raiders, I thought they would run one double. You know, where they double yeah. Devonte Adams, make someone else beat you. They didn't run it at all against against Devonte Adams, which I okay. And then so they just ran kind of typical quarters, and then they ran slot pressures off of quarters. It looked like a 2008 type of defense. Some cover two. Um, a lot of robber and three buzz. I noticed a lot of robber, which they've done before, but they've really leaned into it, against, especially against the Raiders. But the other thing, the other tweak, and what's really interesting is Todd Bowles ran the exact same coverage against the Bengals this past week. And this was, they clouded the side, which is cover two, to the side that Devontae Adams was on and the side Jamar Chase was on. So in the two games. So we're going multiverse here, guys. Split screen. So they went cover two to his side. But then to the other side, they ran kind of a quarters, but with a low safety. So almost ended up playing out like robber. And they ran the exact same coverage on both side or um, on both games for the exact same reasons. Hey, let's cloud the side that their star receiver is on. What I thought was interesting is the Raiders, Derek Carr kind of was like, oh, shoot. And he tried to work and he tried to find a dig and he found the dig real late. And I think it got batted down on this example I'm thinking of. But then the Bengals going against the Bucks. They had Tower Boyd in the slot. And so they were running like a sale concept. Burrow hung there. He's like, all right, you want to run cover two against this and trail with, you know, Jamar Chase up the sideline? I'm just going to hit Tower Boyd on the sale route. So I think it's going to be a big, long story short, I think it's going to be a big Tower Boyd game over the middle <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. Because uh, I also think even if Hayden Hurst is playing, I don't think he is. I think he was out in practice. But if he is playing, um, Kyler Duggar is the tight end eraser. Yeah. Um, so they, if they're going to cloud or one double Jamar chase, and I think it's just going to be a T Higgins, Tyler boy type game, but they also, I think they can run the ball a little bit on first and second down. It was just a lot. I, I think it's, it's a strength for strength going against one of the best game plan coaches in the world, Bill Belichick and, or his son and the staff, the Patriots staff, or going against this Bengals team that has really revamped their offense. Watch that. Watching them against the Bucks was more proof that they're really tweaking their stuff the glance rpo that the interception happened on but that's another story they also did a run play where they faked the zone zone read and then pitched it to run a pin pull so they're playing off what they're showing i'm like hell yeah this is great good stuff 
Zach Taylor in the Bengals offense. Like, I, I really like what you're doing. But I just think it's going to be a, a lot more interesting than I originally thought going in where it's like, oh, one double. They're just going to run one double on Jamar Chase and yada, yada, yada. They've tweaked their defense a little bit, especially against star receivers and good quarterbacks. The one note that I had, because when we were discussing this, each other, they were playing a little bit more quarters. And I was curious just structurally on defense, some of the things that have changed over the last year or so. Because last season, I think they played like 30 snaps of quarters all season. And right. this year, it's like almost five times as much. So they don't do it yeah. a ton, but it's no, no, way but it's, more it's, than they did last year. They never last used year, they to do it. Never that's why, it. That's why I was so, so excited. I was like, what is this? <laughs> it's And they're still like in the bottom third of the league. But yeah. last year, they were dead last in the NFL. Yeah. So the one thing that I think is kind of tied to that, last season, if you look at light box counts, they were so far away from just the trend of yes. putting six or fewer guys in the box. Last year, they were 29th in the NFL. It was about 40.6% of their snaps, six or fewer guys. Too. This year, it's about 50%, and they're 16th. So it's not like they're up near the top of the league, but that's a pretty dramatic change yes. to go from pretty much bottom of the league to middle of the pack in the amount of bodies that you're putting in the box, especially on early downs. So just little tiny tweaks from Patriots teams and tendencies that we've seen from them over the years compared to what this team has looked like this season. They didn't totally. Yeah. It's not, they went from all this to all that. They didn't go all one, all zero. It's just that it just, it's just, it was a difference. It's a different flavor that they're just sprinkling in. They still run a lot of the same stuff. They still drop guys. You know, they run simulated. They bring a Mike guy down the pipe, you know, Bentley down the pipe. Like they still do that. It's just that, yeah, they have a different tool in their box, in their toolbox, which I just thought was from a guy that's really run his shit no matter what. That's that's interesting to me. And also the other thing is the the Patriots have so many fun young players. Josh Uche is like uh, such a different pass rusher than they usually have, but also like I got uh, Kyle Duggar's awesome. And watching him, he's awesome, dude. Watch it, watch how you say like on an offense, you're like, ooh, find number one if you're watching yeah. the Bengals offense. Like, okay, where's number one? Watch the Patriots defense, find twenty three. And that tells you what they're trying to do on that play. He's either the quarter safety, he's in the box, he's in the slot. That's what they're trying to do because he's really freaking good. <laughs> so uh, I understand why they're trying to do that. No, but long story short, this is a lot more interesting than I thought going in, especially this side of the ball. The Josh Zute thing and watching Hassan Reddick, rewatching the Eagles, yeah. and then what Bryce Huff has done for the Jets yeah. and then Houston for the Lions for so long. I was just in Baron Browning earlier this year for the Broncos. Craig Carl, er, yes. Earlier this, like for the last, for most of my time doing this, you know, especially like when I was younger, I just love the bendy guys. Like just give me like that slightly undersized, bendy, flexible, explosive yeah. pass rusher. I just, those are the guys that I want at that position. It's like Von Miller's like your prototype. Or yeah, something. I just, I, lo- okay. I love guys like that. And I, I've always yeah. loved guys like that. A little bit undersized, but like that's how they win. And then for a little while, you know, the last three or four years, I started really questioning whether I had a blind spot for pocket pusher types, like Trey Hendrickson mm. being the perfect example, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, like guys like that can affect the game. And maybe I've kind of fallen too in love with these these bendy guys and you know, right. quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball so quickly. You know, maybe that type of player can't have the impact that he could have during a slightly different version of the NFL. And then this year, there has just been a resurgence of these like smaller bendy pass rushers affecting the game. And I'm like, I can't quit it. I just, I no. can't quit this idea of like this archetype of player and what he can pull off situationally in the NFL. 
That's hilarious. That's no, we all have blind spots, especially when we're, we're scouting these guys. But that's just so funny. Hey, it, time is a flat circle. Hey, running the balls back, like we might wait, like three down running backs are back in, in vogue. Like you know, this is hey, we're getting back to it. Once every running back looks like Moelle Day Moore, then I'll be in a happy place. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, right. that'll, that that's my archetype for a certain position. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna get back with just the ugliness that is the NFC South. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I better check under the hood. All right, so let's go under the hood of this entire freaking division. <laughs> Letting you guys behind the curtain a little bit. Okay, so on Tuesdays, we talk about what we're going to discuss on this show. Yeah. We were throwing around some NFC South stuff. And at one point, I said, wait a second. Are the Saints only one game behind the Bucks?" And Bellard was like, yes. So it's sent me to the standings because in my mind it's like oh you know they're maybe the panthers are one game back but you know the yeah. bucks have a stranglehold on this and even if they're not good they'll stumble to the division and, and that'll right. be it that's probably the case when you look at the actual division odds which we could talk about in a second but every single team in this division is one game back of the bucks for the division lead and we just haven't really talked about how much of a disaster this is we talked about why the Bucks might be able to turn it around, you know, the fact that yeah. they're going to win a bad division, but this entire thing is just an absolute mess. Somebody has to win this thing, and I, I just don't know what to make of it right now. It just feels like one of those all-time disgusting divisions where the winner gets in, and the playoff game that we have to watch is, is so incredibly ugly, but maybe that's too simple in this case. Maybe there's actually more to it than I'm giving it credit for. But right now, just looking at what the standings are, it's just unbelievably disgusting. It is, especially <laughs> from where week one was. Remember the Bucks after, especially after Dak got hurt, just dismantled <laughs> the Cowboys. <laughs> like, and like how far we've come from there. And I know this, the story for me, it was, I mean, for when I focus on the FC South is like, lol, Matt rule. Then like, oh, look at the cool stuff the Falcons offense is, is kind of doing with these, you know, you know, Island of Misfit toys. And then it's like, oh, the Saints could be okay, you know, depending on how they put things together, which is kind of fallen. That's kind of the, that's it for me. That's a summary. If you want to look back for me for the last four months about the NFC South, but, um, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I kind of for a few weeks was feeling pretty good about the Falcons. I was like, hey, they're really putting stuff together. And then it's just, yeah, it's just no. And then the same with the Saints team. I, I start feeling good about certain aspects. The guys get hurt. Chris Olave is hurt this weekend. Like, okay, shit. Okay, now he's – okay, there's some guy that I'm really excited about with there. The offensive lines, coming, guys are coming and going. Defense, good against the run. 
pass game. It depends who they're playing against and what they could sort out. So I, I don't know. There's just not hasn't been anything to really grab me or kind of make me feel good and want to plant a flag on other than maybe the Falcons offense being interesting. They the Bucks every time they played the Panthers after the head coach got fired and it was like, okay, this is the week. You know, this is the week that they they were up what, 17 nothing on the Bengals. And it was like, okay, here they go. They're hey, they realize they're waking up. It's December. They're gonna put and then they just fall apart in that game. It's just yeah. Just one of those like kind of whatever divisions in this year. And I feel like it's happened in NFC South a few times in the past too. So I wanted to go over what we think the line will be for whatever <laughs> NFC South team actually wins the division playing okay. against the Cowboys yeah. in the wild card round. They will because, be hosting. Because I, they will be hosting the Cowboys in the wild card round. Because I think it's an interesting way to try to determine which of these teams actually would be the most dangerous if they were to get in. Yeah. So we're, we're going to guess what these are. Bella, are you going to give us the answers here? I'm going to give you the answers. Let's do it. All right. So, all right. Okay. So, Nate, let why don't you start us off? What do you think the Cowboys at Bucks line would be if if this game were to happen? Okay. Uh, so, Cowboys at Bucks. I would go Cowboys minus two. Are you guessing going, two, Robert? Yeah. I'm going three and a half. Okay, so let me just say, all these lines all come courtesy of uh, our gambling and line expert, Austin Mock. I asked him to run all of his numbers, and he gave a Cowboys minus three and a half line against the Buccaneers. Yes! Oh, oh my god, this is so fun. We should do Nailed. this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, all right. So, all right, that makes sense okay. to me, yeah. because I the, I think the Cowboys are significantly better than yeah. the Bucs, so I'm, I'm into this. All right, what do you think the Cowboys... Or excuse me, what do you think the Cowboys at Panthers line would be if the Panthers were to win the division? Okay, I'll go Cowboys. Well, that's Cowboys minus eight and a half. I'm going to say Cowboys minus six and a half. Ooh, getting touched. Man, Robert on fire. Six and a half is the number that Austin puts God, on Cowboys it. at Panthers. <laughs> Sandbagger. I I don't know, there's there's no way for me to know these. These don't <laughs> exist. So, okay, that's pretty good. All right. So, again, three point gap. I think that one makes sense. All right. Okay, overcorrected there. Cowboys at Falcons, if the Falcons were to win the division. Austin's number assumes that Desmond Ritter is still the starter and not Marcus Mariota. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Well, the Panthers might say. Okay, I'll go shit. Now I'm like rattled. Minus five. What did I say for the Panthers? Six and a half half. was the Panthers. I'm going to say seven for the Falcons. All right. It is uh, Cowboys minus eight in Atlanta. I was what eight and a half. God dang it. Okay. And then so Saints. Saints is the so one real, I'm most interested in. So wow, in. so the Falcons are two point okay. Interesting. That's that's interesting to me. Point and a half. Okay, so Saints. The the Panthers get some real respect from Vegas in they a way do. That you would not anticipate. And I think it's because of their defense. They're two and a half yeah, point and dogs I've, only against the Lions this week. Yeah, and, uh, that's, that's, and that's what I'm working off of. All right, hey, dude, I did a whole stat thing. I looked at like since they fired rule, like how yeah. good their defense has gotten. They're like 22nd, and it's like, come on, I, like just give me something, <laughs> some right, angle Saints. here. Saints. God, I'm minus. I'm gonna go minus five. I'm gonna stick with that one. I'll say minus six. 
it would be minus four for the Cowboys against the Saints. Oh, that's I. That's yeah. That because it's three and a half sense. for the Bucks. Okay, yeah. that actually makes more sense. Wow. Okay. I was. There you go. All right. So if think, we're going I don't off think of I got that, any there because Price is Right rules, I don't think I nailed any either. <laughs> if we're going off of that, okay. Which and Thank this is beyond the current divisional See, odds. That means that the Bucks would give Dallas the best game. Still. Yeah. Then it would be the Saints. Then the Panthers. Then the Falcons. As things yeah. currently stand, that does make sense to me. And so that brings me all the way back around. The reason I wanted to do that is I wanted to kind of have some example or some evidence yeah. that the Bucks are still the team that would be most dangerous if they were to right. win this division, even if we have all this consternation about what they've been. And you go back and watch that Bengals game. They're moving the ball in the first half. Like yes. they can still get rolling out and get rolling maybe a little bit much. They can still <laughs> put some stuff together they on just, offense. They can and still kick the ball a couple of feet forward. <laughs> what's most frustrating is that and Tony Romo is banging this drum during the game. When this team is willing to kind of lean into a version of their offense where they're pressing some easy buttons and they're using some play action and they're putting some mm-hmm. guys in motion. The first half of that game against the Bengals. Tom Brady used play action on 45.8% of his dropbacks, which was the highest first down play action rate in the league in week 15. Okay. Tom Brady finished the first half against the Bengals, 17 of 23 for 194 yards. Pretty pretty damn good. Pretty good. In the second (laughs) half, used play action on 13.8% of his dropbacks. On the season... It's 16.5. No full-time starter in the NFL has used play action less often than Tom Brady. I don't, I don't get it, man. All it the just, rates have dropped. It's I just yeah. don't understand it. And that's why it's hard to totally dismiss this team because, all right, one tweak here, one tweak there, and then what can they look like? You know, They get yeah. Tristan Wirfs back. They yeah. crank up the play action knob a little bit more. We saw some of those creeper pressures that they can throw out like Carlton Davis is capable of playing really well. Their secondary is finally getting back healthy. There just seems like a version of this team still that if they get in and it seems like they probably will (laughs) as bad as it's looked, they still probably will. There's a version of them that I think can at least give the Cowboys a game. If that were to be the matchup when we got to the postseason, that's it. Their, their defense can give teams issues. Like they, they did some good stuff against this Bengals offense. It wasn't like the Bengals just had their way until the end. Like, but for a while, I mean, like you said, Carlton Davis was playing tough. They dropped two picks. They dropped two Burrow picks, one over the middle and one on the sideline. Like, yeah. Those those are you know, pretty literally game-changing plays. Um, and on top of it, I think, like you said, I'm glad you brought the simulated pressure looks because they brought some cool ones that even got Burrow, and Burrow is pretty on top of that stuff. They hid, they didn't cap the corner or the nickel. Like, so just real quick one on one. How you can tell a slot pressure is coming, and this is what's hilarious. The Patriots still show this. They don't even disguise it. They still show it on their defense. Is if the safety is walked capping the slot guy, like he's going to go one for one cover him. This works in Madden too, by the way. Then, uh, then that means usually pressure is coming. And what was really cool is the Bucks didn't show that, and they still brought the slot pressure. So it was fun, and they got Burrow into the dropper. But they can still do this stuff. But I'm glad the offense stuff, and I'm glad Tony Romo read his stat packet this week because it was, you know, they <laughs> this Bucks offense this whole year. They're under center less. They uh, fewer times they run play action, which I know you just talked about. They're not using empty. Their their usage in empties dropped I, I think as of a few weeks ago to like over 10%. They've gone from like 16% to 6%. And at first it's like, okay, why why is that a big deal? That was like one of their super weapons was get Tom Brady into empty and 
rip off an eight to 12 yard gain out of this, especially on second and long. They just do it less. And the empty one, it never made sense to me because he gets rid of the ball quickly. It's not a, oh, that offensive line is going to get sawed off here. And, you know, Tom Brady, you know, he's 45 or 45, 46. Uh, but it that's not going to be a good, it doesn't matter. Mid forties, uh, that that's not going to be a good thing, but it's still one of those things where it's like, why not? Like, why aren't you leaning into this? This is part of your offense. This is part of your DNA. It's not like some new thing that you've never done before. That's what's been really frustrating with this offense. And I think the defense and Todd Bowles' defenses are always like this. Sometimes some game, some matchups are bad for them. Some yeah. game plans, some, some game players could just shred them. Like it's just, it is what it is. Everybody has their bogey teams. Bowles kind of has that depends on the matchup, but on the flip side, he can get after some offenses because they don't have pass protection rules. They don't like Aaron Rodgers has said, that's one of the harder defenses he goes against um, because the, he knows how to manipulate that kind of stuff. So that's the thing about this Bucks team. They've been frustrating. They've been underwhelming, but it, that's why I'm not like fully, fully out. Like not that I can say to make a Super Bowl run, but they could, you know, cause some issues is because they can get hot. They still have Tom Brady. They still have this defense. They still have enough players and enough weapons. So you just never know with this team. It's just that I just wish one time they would put it together when I bet on them sometimes. <laughs> it just feels like I'm <laughs> screaming into the void. It's like, no, the Bucks are, they could still like give, give somebody a problem Every in the week. playoffs. I feel like I'm just like pointing at the mirror, just like yelling it at myself. That's exactly at, what it at is. This point. It's been since like week three. <laughs> All right. One more under the hood before we get out of here. I keep saying that. One more under the hood before we get to our next segment. I clearly want to end this podcast <laughs> right. again. Okay. As I'm rambling about quarters about- defenses with the Patriots. <laughs> we did not talk about this last Thursday because we had some technical issues. Did not get to do a recap pod. Let's talk about what the 49ers have looked like with Brock Purdy, how they've done it, what the success has been, and what the outlook is right now. So going back yeah. and rewatching that game against Seattle, what were your impressions of round two of the Purdy experience <laughs> with san francisco it's the same damn offense uh he's just in it he does go into chaos mode i i'm calling him general disarray to josh allen's professor chaos like he is he's earned that title i mean this guy is just chaotic he it's a point and shoot he, he's gonna he's gonna make those throws over the middle he can do enough they do the screens the run game count uh, shanahan's kind of going like yeah yeah what's uh what's what's lean back into this run game let's get to that i also want to talk about how real quick is this is where the smart coaches like Kyle Shanahan, that knowing their personnel, okay, Debo Samuel's not playing, but Juwan Jennings is going to have to play a lot of snaps when we're in our 21 personnel that we'd like to base out of. Okay, so if Juwan Jennings is our Z receiver or X receiver instead of Debo, oh, we're going to run you know jet, jet plays for Debo, put him in the backfield. This is how we're, we're going to get creative with him. What's Juwan Jennings really good at? He's a hell of a blocker. Yeah, so, big body. Big body. Let's have him tight alignment. Let's have him pin some DNs. And you don't have Debo Samuel usually ever do that. So that he just understands how to get to different flavors. Talk about Bill Belichick into different tools in his toolbox. Kyle Shan's the same way on offense. Thought that was pretty damn good. Um, on the, good job, Kyle, like me complimenting him matters. Anything like that. But it's also uh, on the other side with Purdy, he'll get it done. He can get the job done with the, with the clean looks. He knows where to go. I don't really see panicked eyes. It's just that sometimes when he gets to his first read, as the play comes unraveled, you're going to get into chaos mode a little bit, but it's that's the good and bad of him. He can pr- kind of bring some variance there. But I do think he always has calm eyes to his first read. He knows where to go with the ball to the first read. After that, it's more of like an up and down kind of thing. But why I'm saying that is usually the first read's pretty good in the Shanahan offense. So even having Purdy be the trigger man is not bad. 
they've been really efficient. They've been they've moved the ball well since he's been in there. Yeah. I still am. I think Stephen Ruiz wrote this this week. I thought it was a very good point. We've seen how good it can be. We haven't yep. seen the lulls and what it looks like when it starts right. to dip a little bit. And that's how I feel about it. We're one Quandre Diggs not dropped interception at midfield from, from that becoming story. a much more interesting game. And he didn't spray many other throws outside of that. He missed that uke on a third down. But that was definitely one of those uh-oh moments. And if we have yep. a few more of those, it, it starts to change pretty quickly. But I just... It's impossible to overstate how fantastic the machine yes, the Niners yes. have built looks like right now. I mean, it, yes. and it it is really, I don't think it's a product of, but it is accentuated so much by McCaffrey being in there. Okay. Yes. I, I looked up the numbers. They're averaging 0.29 EPA per drop back with McCaffrey on the field since he got there. That would be second in the NFL over the course of a season to what the Chiefs have been. This this year, by the way, the Chiefs numbers are just all ridiculous. Bonkers. Okay, the Niners without McCaffrey on the field are twentieth in EPA per dropback this season. Even if you take out the monsoon game in Week One, yeah, it's sixteenth. The other number that I absolutely loved, and there was a play in that Seahawks game where they got five out in the pattern, and just like a beautiful triangle read where. Doesn't have it. Comes off to McCaffrey with a little sidearm throw and creates a chunk gain. And just watching a play like that and how often when they get five out, the stress it puts on a defense when McCaffrey is one of those five. Against zone defenses, because that's where you're you're stretching zones with those five out in the pattern, and McCaffrey on the field, they're averaging .4 EPA per drop back. Which is, like we said, the Chiefs are the best team in the league at .3. So 25% better than the Chiefs have been all season against zone defenses when McCaffrey's out in the route. And that it feels like that. Like yeah. what he has done, the gravity that he creates, and that just beyond his ability as a pass catcher, but what getting him out in these routes does to the overall strain that you're putting yeah. on defenses, you can just feel it all the time. So yeah. I have a ton of faith in what they have there and the machine that they've built, but I still am concerned about what happens when that digs play, we get two of those in a game. And yeah. it's funny because that's kind of the concerns that we had about Jimmy Garoppolo when he wasn't that's playing exactly very it. well last that's, year. I so sound, it, it, it's I'm a not saying anything feeling. new. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, the difference is Jimmy G will, once in, will progress a little bit better and Purdy can extend to play a little bit better. That's yeah. kind of – that's it. But that's what this offense is. But this is the best weapons I've seen in an offense like this. And the CMC stats are so great because usually when you have a backup quarterback or a third stringer or whoever, a young quarterback – they check it down to a little bit more than you would want. Well, if those checkdowns are going to CMC, like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's Or George Kittle, you know, to the tight ends as well. It's not a but bad thing. But they're so rarely checkdowns. They, no, they, they're almost, gets to the one. They, they aren't checkdowns because they're getting five guys out in almost every single route. And that that was – and they're running actual routes. Like, they're not just yeah. sitting over the ball. And so that was a, a part of their passing game even before McCaffrey got there. They were doing a lot more five-man protections this season mm-hmm. comparatively than they had over the last few years. But now the fifth guy out <laughs> is Christian McCaffrey. Yes. So it's just changing the dynamic of what they can do. And I thought this week specifically, okay, the line for the Washington game is seven and a half. And I was like, man, that seems like a lot. 
You know, Washington's defense has been pretty good this year. Like, that seems like a lot. And I still, as we're picking games, couldn't pick Washington because I just feel like the passing game is rolling and the offense is rolling so much that I wouldn't want to pick against them right now. Like, they have the best, I believe they have the best DVOA in the league since McCaffrey got there on offense. And it feels like that right now. Absolutely. It's just explosive. And then, and also just like that when they run their zone runs and, and, or whatever they get to, but mostly zone runs, do you see where good running backs bring value as well? Yeah. You're, we're just talking about as a receiver, but just even in the run game, because it might not be blocked perfectly, but he hits the proper hole. Just like making a proper read as a quarterback, CMC and other talented running backs, that's what they do. They know how to set up a block. They know when to plant their foot and get north. They know when to stretch runs. So say it's maximized, the block is ma- or the blocking is maximized for three yards. They'll get five out of it. Yeah. And at first you're like, oh, it's only two yards. When you do that a dozen times a game, that Such shit that adds up. up. Yeah. It adds up. And then one of those might pop for th- 20. Like we saw one against the Seahawks. They he cut it back. I would say seventy percent of running backs would have kept stretching that run. It, it was early in the game. It went right down the pipe. It was his own run. He plants he his foot. Exploded through the hole. Explodes. It was a big hole, but that he puts his foot in the ground and goes. You but feel how, the juice on that play. How the how the read of that the linebacker wasn't totally getting over. So yeah. most running backs would be like, "Hey, I'm I'm going to keep stretching, 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 and then get north." And he was like, "Oh, screw this! This guy's just behind Trent or just in front of Trent Williams." Boom! And gets north. Mm, that's that's the difference of this these talented guys. And you gotta think how I know they've spent so much on draft capital on running backs and all that. And we can that's a whole nother discussion. But like think how ta- how many talented running backs have been in this true system with with you know with other weapons around it. And it's like it's cool to see it. It's cool to see good players in this type of offense because as opposed to playing on hard mode, it's like it's sometimes it's nice to see a good offense with easy mode players. So easy buttons getting pushed for Easy, bu- easy button players at the same time. I'm excited to see what they look like against Washington because Washington yes. de- Washington's defense can play, and I do think this is a really good test. But I expected to turn on that Seattle game because the interception was in my mind. The, yeah. the, threw he, the throw he sprayed to Ayuk was in my mind. I expected to go back and watch that and be like, yeah, you know what? Same. Like He didn't play that well, and you know they, they really lifting him. It's been fine. Like They, they the look same. fine, and I, and I think this will be a same very, concepts. very good barometer. The touchdown to Kittle, they've run with Jimmy G 20 times this year. I love and that play. Uh, yeah, the little four strong with the sweet thing. Yeah, but it's it, pretty pretty when pretty went in and after the injury. They ran it twice with him, and he progressed on it, and then now they run it again with a touchdown on it. It's it's the same offense. It's literally the same offense. They haven't changed shit with, with Purdy in there, and I think, that's, I think that's awesome. I really do, but it speaks to the machine. That's Kyle Shanahan and these skill players. All right, we're going to take one more quick break and then talk about one more game before we get to our picks of the week. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere 
for their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, last game we want to talk about today, Giants and Vikings. I think a really interesting game in the sense that these are the types of games that this is the type of game that the Vikings are likely going to face in the wild card round. Like if yep. we're trying to build a case for why the Vikings can win a couple playoff games, for why they can make a push in the playoffs and it'll play devil's advocate a little bit for the relative, I guess, pessimism we've had about the Vikings considering their record. I, I, this game is the type of thing you start with because they're minus four against this Vi- Giants team and it's a Giants team they absolutely could play in the wild card round. So if you're trying to build a case for why this Vikings team could win a couple playoff games, where would it start for you? Just play yourself. <laughs> just just do what you're good at, which is get to what you adjust to. I, I think this Vikings team, especially on their offense, and this is something I've tried to hone in how to explain it, is it feels like to me every first quarter, especially on offense, they're like, is this is this working today? Is What about this? Is this working today? And I think it's just bring out the big the big guns early. Like I, I get it, you want to get out. Okay, wow, they're taking Justin Jefferson out. Uh, you know, first couple drives. Okay, well, you know, we gotta get other guys going. Then it's like, no, screw it. Find like get him going. Use the designery plays that I know that you have dialed up because I see what you guys do in tight situations and in the second half. Get to him early. Just blow your load early. <laughs> I think that's my biggest advice I can give to this Vikings team because there hasn't been a kind of schematic thing where I'm and anyone that's heard me on this podcast, I've been throwing out theories left and right, especially on offense with this Vikings team is that there's nothing really more to it than that. They have to figure out how to use two tight ends as best they can and get Justin Jefferson as many targets as possible, which they always end up doing, but maybe they can keep themselves out of a rut. And when you're playing a team that you're four points, four point favorites on, or like that, you know, might be more give or take when playoff time comes around then don't get yourself in a rut, like establish control. So you don't weave yourself to a game where the giants could stick around. They can keep running the ball. They don't have to pass the ball. I think on defense, this Vikings defense, again, they're not great. They're fine. They do enough that makes it can make it tough on teams. I I don't know. I think the Zadarius Smith pass rush packages is really tough on a lot of interior offensive lines. Um, I think that defensive wise, they like to squeeze a lot. 
Um, I know Eric Hendricks is out this week, or he's not practicing this week at least, but it's they like to squeeze a lot into the middle, so they're going to make quarterbacks throw, check it down to the flat or throw deeper out to the outside. That's why Mike White had a lot of success against his team late in the game um, against his Vikings defense. So to me, it's – I don't know. <laughs> uh, but really for me, it's just I think on Vikings is get to your big guns early. Don't hide them. And I think on defensive wise, it's like, this is what they are. Um, I don't think that I can just have a magic bullet for them to like improve at this point in time. <laughs> the Vikings are second in uh, variance, football outsiders variance on defense. So they are the second most consistent defense in yes. the NFL. Which Thank feels you. right. <laughs> yes, when you watch them, I was I was like, oh my God, that's just so right on. Like they just it's, are what they are on defense. They are. And that's that's why that's why that was such a meandering answer, because I'm just like, that's it's what they do what they do. For better or for worse, they do what they do. All right. So that's I think that's exactly the right characterization on defense. If yeah. the pass rush is, is getting hot, I think that's the most dangerous part of who they are. But yeah. for the most part, they are what they are on that side of the ball week in and week out. So early in the season. My biggest frustration with the Vikings passing game was they could not push the ball down the field. They refused yeah. to push the ball down the Which field. Which is what made us excited about them in the preseason where I called, yes. well, this is going to be boom, 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 <laughs> big, big guns everywhere. So, and especially Kirk Cousins was dead last in the NFL in air yards per target against zone coverage. It was like six yards per target. It, it was ugly. So I mean, it, they, they were yeah. fine, but it was just a very condensed passing offense. Yep. So that has changed a ton. Over since their bye week, since they made the Hawks and trade, and since their bye week, which is starting in week eight. So since then, he is, especially against man coverage, from weeks eight through 15, he has gone from seven and a half air yards per target to 10 and a half air yards per target <laughs> against man coverage, which was 25th to 7th. So okay. when they get matchups, because they, they face a lot of man coverage, or did they, yes. especially early on this season. So when they are facing man, he is just letting it rip. So they are starting to push the ball down the field, which mm -hmm. is more encouraging for their passing game. They, When they throw the football, they are dangerous and they are effective. Since that week eight bye, Cousins is eighth in EPA per dropback. Okay. And so when you're watching it and they have those stretches where they really start to get rolling, whether it's parts of the Patriots game, which talk about how good the Patriots defense has been this season. They have moved the ball well against New England or what they can do for stretches like they did against the Colts. It's like, oh man, like there are times where it just feels like this offense has a lot of juice throwing the ball. And that has been the case when they've thrown the ball since they're by. The problem is, and this, this got I me. I know what you're about to say. Kirk Cousins has taken 29 sacks yeah. since they're by. 29. That is the most in the NFL over that stretch. So he's 14th in EPA per dropback and eighth in EPA per attempt. The gap is pretty much solely explained. By all of those sacks that he's taken. So it makes total sense when yeah. you think about it anecdotally watching this team. It's like, oh man, they yep. can really get, they have Jefferson, they can really get going. I am concerned about the pass protection and I'm concerned yep. about what he does when the pressure starts to bear down because he's not a creator. And that's exactly yes. what has held their passing game back marginally over the last two months. And finally seeing that, I was like, yes, that is correct. That is what I was worried about. <laughs> Well, just talking this all out, it all makes sense even just when you watch them because their run game is so drab. Also and part of the problem. 29th <laughs> yes. in rushing success rate since the bottom. Yes. And that's what it feels. This is this type of offense, if you want to be 
if you want to be an explosive passing game offense and push the ball against man and all that, you have to have something that kind of raises the water level up a little bit so you're not just sink or swim. Like you have to just be able to kind of keep afloat. And usually that's the run game. And that's the thing. They're not consistently able to run the ball. Success rate is big difference with maybe explosive play. I think they're low on explosive play. They're twenty fourth in EPA, and that that gap okay. between 29th and twenty fourth is explained by explosive plays. So they have exactly. more explosive plays than they have consistent rushing success, and and that matters if you're going to take shots in the pass game too. Okay, well then you get a lot of three and outs because then it's just okay. We're not getting those easy buttons, those quick easy yards, I should say, as an offense. So and so yeah, just laying, laying out those numbers. The man coverage stuff makes sense because like even against the Patriots. They Kirk Cousins just said, screw it. I'm throwing Justin Jefferson against one double, which I thought was hilarious. But he that makes it easy for him. When you have a bad offensive line, when I know it's man coverage as a quarterback, I have a man answer. And I know I can lay – if it's an over route, I can throw the ball to the numbers here. If it's a go ball, I can throw it deep. If it's a slot fade, when it's zone and we're getting heated up where the pass rush is winning against my porous offensive line – Oh, shoot. If my first read's not open, I have to progress to a backside dig. I have to check it down. I have to find my third third read. And when he's not a creator, this is a difference between a guy like him and uh, – I know this is not fair for anybody, but compared to him and Mahomes. is Mahomes will do the pocket stuff, but if he's playing against his own coverage, he'll just get into creation mode because he can get to that those types of plays. That's the difference of these types of quarterbacks. If you want to know a difference between a guy like in the Kirk tier and the uh, the upper tier, it's that right there. Against zone, he has to stay in there and find his third read. Those other guys, the Herberts, the Josh Allens, the even the Burroughs of the world, they don't. <laughs> they they go one to two. Eh, I'm out of here. Screw it. Let's get into creation mode because I'm athletic and I can do it and throw on the move like this. So I think that's where it all kind of ties in together. Man lets him find an easy answer and lets him push the ball because he knows he can throw it to a spot and not have to worry about his pass rush holding up. 20 of those 29 sacks since the bye have come against zone coverage. Ah! So there you go. There it is. When when teams play man and like they were early in the season, they've been able to kind of let it rip and, and then they've been able to push the ball down the field. When he's had to hold on to it and find answers, it has been problematic because their passing game just their their offensive line just isn't very good. Like it's the not. interior they, they they have good players in their offensive line, but the yeah. interior of their offensive line has yep. holes. That yes. that has been the concern. Bradbury's missed the last two games. Ingram yep. has been a problem for most of the season. Yep. You know, Darisaw, obviously, him getting him back has been big. Him missing those couple games, I'm sure, has contributed to those numbers. But if we're trying to explain a little bit of a disconnect between what the passing game can look like for the Vikings at time and what the overall efficiency numbers look like, I think that's the best way to explain it, is that they've taken a lot of sacks over the yes. last couple of months. So one <laughs> yes, giant specific thing, I think, to take into account Pun intended. Cousins, pun. Giant. Yeah, <laughs> gi- Giants. Yeah, the, the Giant specific the, for this game. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this game. So uh, Cousins is 31st among 40 quarterbacks in EPA per drop back when teams blitz and play man coverage this year. Uh, the Giants do a lot of blitzing and a lot of playing man coverage. Oh, do they? So just just something to take into account. I I, I, hey. I seeing that number though about that how the sacks have really affected them, especially over the yeah. second half of the season. I think was particularly good because yeah. I was like, oh man, why why can't I get totally on board with this? And yep. I think that those concerns in pass protection, those couple weak, weak links they have, I keep coming back to those. That's no, it's such a great point. It's almost it's a lot of the stuff that to a lesser extent, it's a diet coke version of what the Bengals discussion last year on offense. Inefficient yeah. run game, 
porous offensive line, but without the burrow creation ability. And yeah, that's they, a really, yeah. really good point. Same and kind of number one receiver, explosive place yes. generator, like that Higgins Justin is Jefferson than is. A number two, but same kind of same kind of you know. Uh, conversations about, about their offense a little bit. That's where why they feel inconsistent at times, and that's also why they feel like they can get hot at any time. Is because that's how they play. So you'd hope with Darisaw coming back, that and with Bradbury coming back after missing a couple of games, maybe the pass protection can get better. Maybe that's how we can see the best version of their passing game here down the stretch when they really need to get hot. So yeah. just something to chew out here as we get toward the playoffs. Yeah, like All right, it's time for picks. Let's do it. Boo, Jimmy's luck. A week. Ooh, that's a big luck, all right. Um, I'm a little concerned about how well I've been doing on the picks. You've been on fire. <laughs> the, the 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 bottom is coming. I I was four and one again last week. I'm 39 and 31 on the season. I missed one week, which we're not going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, but we I have the same not, amount of wins despite you missing a week, which is. <laughs> I do not feel confident about the games this week. Uh, I have the Jags. Plus a half point against the Jets today at the Jets. Go I just think it. the Jags are playing really well. The rain, I, I'm not excited about. Uh, that is definitely okay. a concern here. So that one I feel less confident about knowing it's going to be raining there. I have the Falcons plus seven and a half. Tyler Huntley's playing again. I just That's a lot of points for, the, for yeah. this Ravens team to be given anybody the way that they've been playing a recently. Lot a lot of points. I've got the Lions minus two and a half. I just, I'm going to keep picking the Lions. Like that. That's just what I, it's one of my strategies right now. I'm just going to keep picking the Lions. Uh, Seahawks plus nine and a half against the Chiefs. I just think that's a lot. I, I know that the Seahawks have not been very, have not been great recently, but I think that's a ton of points for a decent Seahawks team to be getting. And I'm going Chargers minus three and a half against the Colts. I think the Colts are really bad. <laughs> Nick Foles is starting <laughs> a quarterback for the Colts. I know. The Chargers, Colts, man. The, the, the like <laughs> scales of disappointment bowl. The, the all right, so I went three and two last week. I stayed the ship a little bit. Uh, 39 and 36. God, I, I really jinxed myself as soon as I talked shit about being 60%, just all kind of unraveled. Uh, I have a couple of similar ones. Uh, I'm also going Lions minus two and a half. I, I, same thing. Like we, we talked about earlier, we discussed the Panthers defense. So, you know, they can hang in there. They got a lot of talented players. I'm sure coaches, D'Amico Ryans, you know, coaches that are looking for head coaching jobs might, you know, might look at that defensive unit and go, Hey, this is pretty fun. Um, I'm going Raiders plus two and a half at the Steelers. I actually think the Raiders have been played okay in the last few weeks. I don't know. I think that, you know, getting Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro back has made the offense look kind of a little spicy. Um, I, I don't know. I like what they're doing. I, I think they can, Against the Steelers team, yes, they've gotten healthier. I don't know. I, they, I don't know what the quarterback situation is with the Steelers. Even though this Raiders defense has played better, it's kind of funny. My first two-thirds of the season thoughts I've had to get kind of thrown out about this Raiders defense. So, yeah, I'm going to go with them, plus two and a half. Next one, Bills minus eight and a half at the Bears. I kind of found, fallen into, I think the Bills are slightly underrated, um, even though they're like one in a lot of metrics and everything, uh, against this Bears team that played their hearts out against the Eagles. But maybe, you know. That was that was a lot, and now they're going to have to maybe throw the ball against I'm this Bills be defense. About that they're playing that game on Hoff. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! What, oh, I know. Because is it snowing all weekend there? Uh, it, the snow is supposed to die down, but it's going to be zero degrees on Saturday. Love it, love it. Okay, so well, might be a lot of quarterback runs that game. Next one going Browns minus two and a half hosting the Saints. Uh, yeah, I think the Browns' defense has improved. Not that the Saints' offense without Chris Olave uh, will really scare you. Um, and the running the game with the Saints has been eh this year. So that's the one Browns' defensive weakness. And I think the Browns' offense will be fine. I can put some points on the board. Uh, also, last one. 
Falcons, plus seven and a half at the Ravens. Same reasoning. I think that's a lot of points for Tyler Huntley, even though I do think this Ravens team is better overall. Um, let's go Desmond Ritter. We didn't get to break him down. Started slow oh, like we he did in college. I, I, that's on me. Real quick. I'll be 10 seconds. He started slow, just like he did in college. He started to calm down, did a lot of good pre-snap stuff. But then, you know, he tried to do a little too much. He went for the alerts a bunch of times early, but he settled in as the game went along. I'm excited to see him against this Ravens team. <laughs> All right, guys. Let me jump in here. Uh, four and one last week. We have two unanimous picks this week. So I'll just say uh, those two. I'm also on the Falcons. I am also on the Detroit Lions. I also yeah. like the Jaguars plus a half point with you, Robert. We're actually kind of getting screwed in the uh, in the real world market. They're up to plus two and a half. I would imagine that's got a lot to do with the weather and them being an offensively driven team and the Jets being a defensively driven team. But hey, that. still stick with the Jaguars here. I am with you, Nate, on one more. The Raiders getting those two and a half points against the Steelers. Love what they've been doing offensively. No surprise, right? They get Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro back and suddenly Looks things good. look even a little bit better than they already looked, which they look pretty decent. My final play here. Bengals minus three and a half at the Patriots. The same three and a half the Bengals were laying against the Buccaneers last week. That worked out a okay. Said this a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. Patriots wins. Trubisky, Goff, Brissett, Matt Ryan, Zach Wilson twice, Colt McCoy. Patriots losses. Tua, Lamar, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen, Derek Carr. I think Burrow has his way with the Patriots. That's a good point. You're, what are you on? Fourth? Fourth. Tied for fourth. Keep God. it rolling. Let's do it. So we, were, we had the ringer on this pick. <laughs> Not too bringing bad. Them, bringing, bringing them in. <laughs> all right, guys. That's all we have. As we said earlier, no Sunday night recap this week. We will have a recap of week 16 coming to you on Monday in two parts. So just be on the lookout for that. Tonight, we'll be doing a live recap of Jets Jags on our YouTube page. So please come check that out. If you have not watched any of the Thursday Night Recaps on YouTube, we have a great time doing them. So please do that. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not done that. We'd really appreciate that. In the meantime, uh, if you're not going to be able to check out any of those, happy holidays. Uh, Enjoy some time with your family. Try to make sure you're doing okay with the cold and the weather. Get where you're going safe. And when you get there, enjoy some family time because it's a great time of year and you guys deserve it. So appreciate it. And we'll talk to you tonight. This was The Athletic Football Show.